everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Almost 50,000 people, 49,500 people, took their own life in the United States last year. Now that data uh, posted by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, and they posted numbers, though they haven't calculated the suicide rate for the year yet, um, what they are able to tell us is that suicides are more common in the U.S. than any other time since the dawn of World War II. Now that ought to concern us a little bit. The largest increase in suicide rates was seen in older adults. Death rose nearly 7% in people ages 45 to 64 and more than 8% in people 65 and older. Suicide in young adults, 25 to 44, grew 1%, and the new data indicates that suicide became the second leading cause of death in that age group. The second leading cause of death among people 25 to 44 in the year 22, and that's up from number four in the year 2021. So the question that this article asks and the question that we should be asking is why? Why the increase in suicide and suicide rates? Now the thing that troubles me about the article and it seemed to trouble the author too because I think the answer the government gives is a political answer. Um, I, I really don't think the answer that they offer gives us any information at all. The government looking at these numbers basically says, um, that the reasons are higher rates of depression limited availability of mental health services, and the growing availability of guns. Now somehow, I look at that and I see, that's, that tells me nothing. The question is, if there is a higher rate of depression, why? Why are we depressed? You can't just say, well, there's a higher rate of depression, so that's why there's suicide. No, to, to get to it, we've got to ask the question, why are we depressed? Why is depression on a rise? And, and you can't really just simply say, and one of the reasons is because of limited availability of mental health services, we've got to ask the question, why do we need mental health services so much more now than ever before? And I don't even think that we can say it's availability of guns because if you really get down to it, guns have always been available and that doesn't really answer the question as to why suicide rate was less years ago than it is now. 
Man, I, the world I grew up in is very different than the world most of you have grown up in. In rural Louisiana, when I was a kid, we carried a gun in the gun rack in the back of our pickup truck. And I remember going to school and parking in the parking lot with a gun hanging in the gun rack in, in, in my truck, lock the door and go to school. But, because it was weird, but when I was growing up, nobody ever thought about taking a gun and going into school and shooting people. What's changed? What's going on? Why are we so depressed? I, I love the, the writer of the article as he kind of takes the government to task on some of these issues, offers his own reasons as to why he thinks that maybe the numbers are high. And, and, and I kind of agree with him. He basically, and just to not get into the, to the weeds of the article, he says he believes that there are two basic reasons why we're more depressed today than ever before and we need mental health services more than ever before and we would even consider the availability of guns as an option for us to take our own life. In his own research, just casually looking over his shoulders, he says, I believe the two leading reasons are loneliness and lack of meaning. That more people are alone today than ever before. There is a decrease in any kind of activity that creates community. And, and you know, when I think back in my life growing up, my mom and dad had a community of friends that they hung out with, that they did things with. Our family was involved with other families. And now I look around today and, and most of us don't have those close relationships and friends. We, 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 we've kind of moved into isolation and live our own lives in isolation. I, I think he may be on to something. And lack of meaning, yeah, I think most of us would recognize that so many today feel that life has no value, no meaning, there is nothing bigger than me. But here's the thing that really got my attention. If these numbers are real, and I think they are, that means that some of you that are here today have struggled with these thoughts. That means that some of you that are present today and some of you that are listening have literally felt that the only option for you is to take your life. And even if you're here today and, and suicide is not an option for you, perhaps you have come to the place where you have just somehow accepted the fact that life is so hard and so bad, it'll never be good. And you just kind of have slipped into a mode of just surviving. And you're just kind of numb and you're just going through life and the experience of life. And in light of that, I want to answer some questions over the next few weeks that I think many of us are asking. And the question that I want to address today is simply this question, why am I not happy? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I not happy? Now, let me just say this at the very outset, I know that there are some of you that are here today that are struggling with physical challenges, 
neurological challenges, emotional challenges, clinical depression, and listen, I do not want to make light of any of those challenges that you're facing. Some of you are facing issues that are far bigger and greater than anything I've ever faced. And, 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 and I can't on a Sunday morning, even as we look together at Scripture, offer you some simple solutions to the challenges that you face. I, I would pray that something that I say today might encourage you, and along with the care that you are receiving from your physician, you can begin to find an answer to those questions. But yet at the same time, there are some of us here that there's nothing physically wrong with us. <laughs> there's nothing going on physically. But we're still asking that same question, why am I not happy? And in fact, some of us have honestly come to the place where we feel like we'll never be happy and are not sure that anybody can be. So like, let me ask another question, and maybe this will put it in perspective for us today. If your life doesn't change, if nothing changes at all from this moment forward, your situation doesn't improve, your health doesn't improve, you don't advance in your career, your finances don't improve, your body will never feel any better than it does right now, here's my question for you. Could you be happy? The book of Psalms begins with the word happy. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 introduces a theme that you're going to find throughout the book of Psalms, at least 26 times through the book of Psalms. You're going to find him address this issue of, is it possible for us to be happy? And if so, how can we find happiness in our life. I think most of us kind of grow up thinking that happiness is inevitable, right? I mean, the early years, especially this generation, they, they believe that they're going to be happy one day. One day I'm going to meet the right person. One day I'm going to get the right job. One day everything's going to come together. Happiness inevitably will come to me. I mean, after all, they've been told all their life they can be whatever they want to be, that there are no limitations. They, they've been told all their life that they're the winner. There are no losers. You always get a trophy. So I think there's a whole generation of people that think happiness is inevitable. And then what happens? We get older and it seems to evade us. And then we come to the place where there's a switch and the switch happens and we get to the place where we feel like Happiness is not inevitable. It is just absolutely impossible. And I think what the scriptures teach us is that neither of those are true. It's not inevitable and it's not impossible. In fact, the scripture teaches that it's possible for you to be happy. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that in our time together today and in the questions that we're going to answer in the future, we'll continue to unpack some of this as we move forward. Psalm chapter 1. 
offers some insight. Very familiar psalm to you, one of the most familiar in all the Bible. How many of us have decided we're going to read through the psalms and we open to Psalm 1? And so we'll read through this psalm. How blessed is the man, it might read literally, blessed is or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of waters, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked will perish. And in just those simple words, I think the psalmist offers great insight He begins, first of all, by identifying, if you will, two things that we normally look to for happiness that don't work. And one of the reasons that many of us are not happy is because we have pursued one of these two methods as a means to attain happiness. The first method that he addresses in the text before us, we could simply identify this way, you won't be happy with uh, a happiness that is based on circumstance. If you think that happiness is based on circumstances, you will never be happy. And yet many people believe that happiness is based on circumstance or what I might call happenstance. If good things happen to me, I'm happy. If bad things happen to me, I'm sad. And so I try to manipulate the world around me to make certain that good things happen to me. I want to make certain that I I, I am in charge of the circumstances of life in such a way that everything that happens is good and I work and and use people and, and, and abuse things to try to create a scenario where all of the circumstances of life are perfect and in that I find happiness. Sometimes we even do that for our children as parents. We try to create an environment and create a situation and circumstance where everything is perfect and nothing is wrong so that our children can enjoy uh, happiness. And what the psalmist wants us to understand is that if we pursue happiness based on circumstance, we will never, ever be happy. The reason for that is the psalmist says that life is, is like a series of seasons, spring, summer, winter, fall. There are seasons in our life. Now the spring, oh my goodness, I love spring in Texas, don't you? It is, it's one of the things that keeps us here. How is it that we endure the misery of the summer? It's because spring's kind of fun around here and and we enjoy that and and the challenges that, that come with it, but we enjoy spring and then summer comes along. And man, the heat of summer dries us up and What I discover with heat is it sometimes zaps us of all of our energy and sometimes we feel trapped, don't we? We had grandkids for the last couple of weekends. We had three of our six grandkids with us, and and I felt trapped in the house because it was too hot to go outside. 
we love to go outside in the backyard. And we tried to go outside yesterday, and, and we went out there for about 10 minutes, and, and the kids probably would have stayed longer. But Papa said, you know what? That's enough. I, I can't stand it out here. I felt trapped inside the house. So we end up going to another place where, where uh, you know, you do the bounce things in the trampoline park and there were so many people there because they felt trapped too. And that's the only place you can go and find air conditioning. And so sometimes summer traps us and sometimes summers zap us. And then the wintertime comes along and threatens to kill us. And then there's a drought in the seasons of life that threaten to starve us. But here's the deal. You and I do not get to live life without winter and summer. We don't get to live life without drought. We don't get to live life without the seasons that come. And if your happiness is dependent upon spring, you will never find it. And the psalmist is simply saying it's not based on the circumstances that we have in life. And you know what? A Google search of happiness was really revealing. If you do a Google search that just asks this question and don't do it now. <laughs> don't you do it now. Um, guys, we've got a thing back there. We can tell what you're searching if you'll uh, turn that on. Um, but a Google search, if you Google, how can I be happy? Over a million things pop up. And it's amazing to me. It just depends on how long a list you want. Here are three things that'll make you happy. Here are five things that'll make you happy. Here are eight things that'll make you happy. Here are the top 15 things you need to do to be happy. And when I begin to look through that list, this is what the kind of advice Google tells us. Be optimistic. If you want to be happy, be optimistic. Follow your heart, whatever that means. Be true to yourself. I'm not even sure what that means. Make enough money to meet the basic needs of your life. Well, thank you very much. I'm grateful for that. But you know what? All of those impact the circumstances of life. And if you really get down to it, all of them are superficial. You know what I've discovered? We need something deeper than that. If I'm going to find happiness, I need something more substantial than just be optimistic. I need something more substantial than follow my heart and be true to myself. I mean, the reason we're in the bind that we're in is we've tried all those things and nothing seems to work. We need something deeper than the circumstances that we face, something that can somehow enable us to endure the spring and the winter and the summer and the drought. The second thing that the psalmist says we try that doesn't work, he said one of the reasons that we, 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 we can't find happiness is because we think it's in the circumstances of life. If I can change the circumstance or the happenstance, I'm going to suddenly be happy. And I want to tell you something. The circumstances have changed in your life probably over time, and it didn't work. I remember there was a time in my life I thought if I could just make this much money, I had an X number in my mind, if I can just get to the place where I can make that much money, I'm going to be happy. And guess what? I got there and nothing changed. If I can just get married, and guess what? You get married and nothing changes. 
If I can just have this, if I can just have that. And it's because we think that the circumstances of our life bring happiness. Well, the second thing that he says is this. He says, circumstances, we need something deeper than that. And the second thing that he offers is this. You won't be happy when you have no foundation outside yourself. You will not be happy if you have no foundation outside yourself. He says in the text before us, happy is the man. Happy, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. He delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on it. He's like a tree firmly planted. His roots go deep. Here's the secret. If I'm going to be happy, I have to have some deep roots. Happy is the man like the tree with deep roots that anchor him in the drought, that anchor him in the summer, that anchor him in the winter and in the challenges of life. What he does there is he speaks to a common myth. And the reason that we think that that, that a foundation of ourself is the answer to happiness is because we think, here, here's, here's, here's the myth, we think true happiness comes when we're free. What I need is just to be free. If I could ever get out from under mom and dad and all the rules that they have and the regulations and I can get on my own, I'm going to be happy. The things that make me miserable. And you know what? We go to church and they make us go to church. And the Bible is a bunch of rules and regulations that we are to live by. And if I could get out from under the rules and regulations and I could live the way I want to live, if I don't have to answer to all those rules and regulations, I'm free and I'm going to be happy when I'm the one calling the shots when I'm the one that, that, that gets to make the decision, nobody else has to, has to deal with that. That's going to be the day. Free of rules, free of standards. Kind of like a fish in the water who says, I, I just feel confined by the water. You know, I, I can jump up out of the water and I see there is an amazing world outside the water that is so much bigger and better than this world under the water. And so what I really need is to be free from the water. And so one day the fish works really hard and jumps really high and he comes out of the water and lands on the bank. And he's free. I mean, the whole world is open to him now, but here's the question for you. Is he happy? No, you know why? Because he was made for the water. I want to tell you something. When we don't have standards outside ourselves, we'll never find happiness. God designed us and created us to live in concert with him and his plan and his purpose for our lives. And when we buy into that, I mean, you remember the picture of that in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. You remember? He comes to the dad and he says, look, I have lived my whole life doing what you want me to do, how you want me to do it, the way you want me to do it, and I'm done. I need my freedom. 
And I want you to give me my inheritance now. And, and so the father gives him his inheritance and he leaves and he goes to a foreign country, as you know this story, and he spends everything. He's free now to do whatever he wants to do. And you know what he discovered? He wasn't free at all. What he discovered was that this is not what I thought it would be, but because if there is no standard outside ourselves. You you see, the the bottom line is a tree without roots is just a tumbleweed, right? Most of us in Texas know if you drive west, you're going to you're going to see some tumbleweeds, man. The wind blows and they just pile up sometimes on the interstate and next to a fence line and they just go from one place to another. There's no stability. If you have no outside anchor, you have no deep roots. Then you're like a tumbleweed. It just goes from here and there and there is no purpose. And what he says in the text before us is he says, guys, I, I want you to understand there's, there, there's a secret to happiness that, that, that you need to know. And, and, and I think he offers a secret for Christians because what he's saying in the text is it is possible for a person who knows God to experience happiness in a way that a person who doesn't know God won't experience happiness. So there is something that he's saying to those of us that are Christians. There is something he is saying to those of us that are followers of God. And, I, and I'm glad that he offers this because some of us are struggling today because we, we've never made this discovery. In verse 1, he said, Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then when he talks about the counsel of the ungodly, he's talking about the way we think. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners. When he talks about the path of sinners or the way of sinners, he's talking about the way we behave, our our lifestyle, our culture. And then he says, and doesn't sit or stand in their way. He's talking about our identity, your mind, your behavior, your identity, And then he says this, here's the secret. It is shaped by the word of God. So whatever the season that I pass through, I'm secure, I'm stable, I'm solid, I'm held because of what God's word says. And because of my knowledge of God's word, I I, I know what God's word says about me. And, and so I don't have to worry about things that happen in the world or things that happen to me or things that happen around me. I, I am secure and solid because I know what God says about me. And I, I have a standard that I live by that is beyond me and, and God is the one that writes the standard and I was created to walk with him and as I walk according to his standard, I, I am prepared for the challenges that every season brings and it offers security and stability. And that security and stability holds me. And then there's a connection it begins to happen with my identity. 
We talked about that last time we were together, didn't we? When I told you that last time we were together, we are shaped by who we hang out with, who our friends are. I think the secret that he offers for us right here is simply this. Guys, if you want to know true happiness, there's two things you need to do. You need to get in the word. You need to get in the church. Happy is the man who thinks right, lives right, has the right identity, and where does that come from? Well, in verse two, he delights in the law of the Lord. Now, here's the secret. I think many of us are not delighting in the law of the Lord. What he's saying is it's not enough just to go to church and it's not enough just to be a Christian. It's not enough just to read the Bible. You've got to get to the place where you delight in God's word. Now, how do you do that? I'll offer you just three steps that I think are important. I think to delight in the law of the Lord requires uh, that we make a decision to do that. I think it starts with a decision where you just simply say, you know what, I'm going to get in the Word. And you make a decision, and you make that decision today. If if happiness connects me to God and His Word, then you know what, I'm going to make a decision to get in His Word. So make the decision. Now, once you've made the decision, that's not enough because you've made that decision before and it hadn't helped and it hadn't held and it hadn't worked. How many times have we made that decision at the beginning of a new year? The second step is critical. We don't like it, but it's critical. The second step is discipline. I'm going to get in the Word of God and in order to do that, I've got to discipline myself to do it. I'm going to set a time to do it. I'm going to make it a priority of my life and nothing's going to interfere with it. This is when I'm going to do it. And it's going to be a priority because I've made a decision. And I'm backing the decision with discipline. And this is what I want you to know. Discipline is hard. And and, and you have to force yourself to go and open the word and and stay in it. You've got an enemy that tries to, to pull you away from it. But this is what I know. When I make a decision to get in the word of God and I discipline myself to get in the word of God and I follow through with the discipline, listen to me carefully, it turns into delight. And there will come a point when that thing that has been so hard for you to get up and do becomes something you look forward to. And that thing that was such a disciplined part of your life to make it a priority becomes something so precious to you. You wouldn't miss it for the world. And that's when the word of God becomes delight. And suddenly we begin to know him and the power that he makes available to us. And so the, the psalmist is saying, the, the guy that delights in the word of God, man, he had to work hard to get there. But he finally got to the place where he just loved the word of God. And, and he loved the standards that, that he found in the word of God. And he loved what he discovered about God from the word of God. And a byproduct of that is that he's happy. 
Well, the two things that I mentioned to you that are secret, one is getting in the word, but second's getting in the church. Because I think the second thing is we've got to connect with each other. Paul talked about that in the latter part of the book of Romans when we were there. He even gave us an example in the last chapter when we were there last week of all the people that were a part of his life. Paul would have never accomplished all that he did had it not been for those people he was connected to. And he told us, hold on to the unity. Don't let go of it. We are different. We are diverse. It's going to be hard. But even Jesus prayed that we would not lose that unity. We need to plug in and connect so that we can do life together. Because it's in doing life together that we make it through the drought. And we make it through the winter. Because when in the winter it gets really tough. And the winter threatens to starve me. I've got somebody else in the body of Christ that says, oh, by the way, I've got something extra in my pantry that I can share with you as we walk through this winter together. I've got something extra as we walk through the drought that, that I can share with you. And God has provided in the body of Christ all that we need as we move forward. So, is it possible for me to be happy? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. When I think right, when I live right, when I identify not with my friends but with him, and I focus on his word and on his people, I begin to move in a direction that will bring me to true happiness. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to discover some other truth that's going to help us put these things together. But that's where we start today. And that's a good place to begin. We begin with a decision. Is that what you want? <laughs> we begin by saying, yes, I, that's what I want. And I agree with you. I'm not going to be happy based on circumstances. I've tried that. I'm not going to be happy being free. I've tried that. I, I want what God wants for me. And I make a decision to get in his word, to connect with his people. And I will discipline myself to do it and I will not stop until it becomes a delight. And at that moment, I won't want to stop doing that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to really think through and kind of wrestle with some of these issues. These are big deals for us because I think every one of us in this room at one time or another struggled with this issue of happiness. And we've got an enemy that sits on our shoulder and tells us that we'll never be happy, we'll never amount to anything, we're no good. But yet you have taught us in your word that's not the case. And in this simple psalm, we see some insight that we can allow you, Holy Spirit, to bring about, um, to bring the change that we long for in our life. And for I pray today that those that are listening would make a decision to accept you as Savior and Lord of their life, to walk with you, to embrace your truth, to find the freedom you give. 
and that you will give us the power to discipline ourselves to follow through on that decision. And then, Lord, let us experience the delight of walking with you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.